blood brother said a message written in pink paint on the side of a shattered grocery store there was a tap on billy's car window a black man was out there he wanted to talk about something the light had changed billy did the simplest thing he drove on billy drove through a scene of even greater desolation it looked like dresden after it was firebombed like the surface of the moon the house where billy had grown up used to be somewhere in what was so empty now this was urban renewal a new ilium government center and a pavilion of the arts and a peace lagoon and high-rise apartment buildings were going up here soon that was all right with billy pilgrim the speaker at the lions club meeting was a major in the marines he said that americans had no choice but to keep fighting in vietnam until they achieved the victory or until the communists realized that they could not force their way of life on weak countries the major had been there on two separate tours of duty he told of many terrible and many wonderful things he had seen he was in favor of increased bombings of bombing north vietnam back into the stone age if it refused to see reason billy was not moved to protest the bombing of north vietnam did not shudder about the hideous things he himself had seen bombing do he was simply having lunch with the lions club of which he was past president now billy had a framed prayer on his office wall which expressed his method for keeping going even though he was unenthusiastic about living a lot of patients who saw the prayer on billy's wall told him that it helped them to keep going too it went like this god grant me the serenity to accept the things i cannot change courage to change the things i can and wisdom always to tell the difference among the things billy pilgrim could not change were the past the present and the future now he was being introduced to the marine major the person who was performing the introduction was telling the major that billy was a veteran and billy had a son who was a sergeant in the green berets in vietnam the major told billy that the green berets were doing a great job and that he should be proud of his son i am i certainly am said billy pilgrim he went home for a nap after lunch he was under doctor's orders to take a nap every day the doctor hoped that this would relieve a complaint that billy had every so often for no apparent reason billy pilgrim would find himself weeping nobody had ever caught billy doing it only the doctor knew 
It was an extremely quiet thing, Billy did, and not very moist. Billy owned a lovely Georgian home in Ilium. He was rich as Croesus. Croesus, something he had never expected to be, not in a million years. Yet five other optometrists were working for him in the shopping plaza location and netted over $60,000 a year. In addition, he owned a fifth of the new Holiday Inn out on Route 54 and half of three Tasty Freeze stands. Tasty Freeze was a sort of frozen custard. It gave all the pleasure that ice cream could give without the stiffness and bitter coldness of ice cream. Billy's home was empty. His daughter Barbara was about to get married and she and his wife had gone downtown to pick out patterns for a crystal and silverware. There was a note saying so on the kitchen table. There were no servants. People just weren't interested in careers in domestic service anymore. There wasn't a dog either. There used to be a dog named Spot, but he died. So it goes. Billy had liked Spot a lot, and Spot had liked him. Billy went up the carpeted stairway and into his and his wife's bedroom. The room had flowered wallpaper. There was a double bed with a clock radio on a table beside it. Also on the table were controls for the electric blanket and a switch to turn on a gentle vibrator which was bolted to the spring of the box mattress. The trade name of the vibrator was Magic Fingers. The vibrator was the doctor's idea too. Billy took off his trifocals and his coat and his necktie and his shoes and he closed the Venetian blinds and then the drapes and he lay down on the ice outside of the coverlet. But sleep would not come. Tears came instead. They seeped. Billy turned on the magic fingers and he was jiggled as he wept. The door chimes rang. Billy got off the bed and looked down through a window at the front doorstep to see if somebody important had come to call. There was a crippled man down there, as spastic in space as Billy Pilgrim was in time. Convulsions made the man dance flappingly all the time, made him change his expressions too, as though he were trying to imitate various famous movie stars. Another cripple was ringing a doorbell across the street. He was on crutches. He had only one leg. He was so jammed between his crutches that his shoulders hid his ears. Billy knew what the cripples were up to. They were selling subscriptions to magazines that would never come. People subscribed to them because the salesmen were so pitiful. Billy had heard about this racket from a speaker at the Lions Club two weeks before, a man from the Better Business Bureau. 
The man said that anybody who saw cripples working a neighborhood for magazine subscriptions should call the police. Billy looked down the street, saw a neck buick Riviera parked about. Uh, sorry, saw a new buick Riviera parked about half a block away. There was a man in it. And Billy assumed correctly that he was the man who had hired the cripples to do this thing. Billy went on weeping as he contemplated the cripples and their boss. His door chimes clanged hellishly. He closed his eyes and opened them again. He was still weeping, but he was back in Luxembourg again. He was marching with a lot of other prisoners. It was a winter wind that was bringing tears to his eyes. Ever since Billy had been thrown into shrubbery for the sake of a picture, he had been seeing St. Elmo's fire, a sort of electronic radiance around the heads of his companions and captors. It was in the treetops and on the rooftops of Luxembourg too. It was beautiful. Billy was marching with his hands on top of his head, and so were all the other Americans. Billy was bobbing up and down, up and down. Now he crashed into Roland Weary accidentally. I beg your pardon, he said. Weary's eyes were tearful too. Weary was crying because of horrible pains in his feet. The hinged clogs were transforming his feet into bloody puddings. Blood puddings. At each road intersection, Billy's group was joined by more Americans with their hands on top of their hallowed heads. Billy had smiles for all of them. They were moving like water, downhill all the time, and they flowed at last to a main highway on a valley's floor. Through the valley flowed a Mississippi of humiliated Americans. Tens of thousands of Americans shuffled eastward, their hands clasped on top of their heads. They sighed and groaned. Billy and his group joined the river of humiliation, and the late afternoon sun came out from the clouds. The Americans didn't have the road to themselves. The westbound lane boiled and boomed with vehicles which were rushing German reserves to the front. The reserves were violent, wind-burned, bristly men. They had teeth like piano keys. <coughs> they were festooned with machine gun belts, smoked cigars and guzzled booze. They took wolfish bites from sausages patted their horny palms with potato masher grenades. One soldier in black was having a drunk hero's picnic all by himself on top of a tank. He spit on Americans. The spit hit Roland Weary's shoulder, gave Weary a fragile of snot and blutwurst and tobacco juice and snaps. Billy found the afternoon stingingly exciting. There was so much to see. Dragon's teeth, killing machines, corpses with bare feet that were blue and ivory. So it goes. 
bobbing up and down, up and down, Billy beamed lovingly at a bright lavender farmhouse that had been spattered with machine gun bullets. Standing in its cock-eyed doorway was a German colonel. With him was his unpainted whore. Billy crashed into Weary's shoulder, and Weary cried out sobbingly, Walk right! Walk right! They were climbing a gentle rise now. When they reached the top, they weren't in Luxembourg anymore. They were in Germany. A motion picture camera was set up at the border to record the fabulous victory. Two civilians in bearskin coats were leaning on the camera when Billy and Weary came by. They had run out of film hours ago. One of them singled out Billy's face for a moment, then focused at infinity again. There was a tiny plume of smoke at infinity. There was a battle there. People were dying there. So it goes. And the sun went down and Billy found himself bobbing in place in a railroad yard. There were rows and rows of boxcars waiting. They had brought reserves to the front. Now they were going to take prisoners into Germany's interior. Flashlight beams danced crazily. The Germans sorted out the prisoners according to rank. They put sergeants with sergeants, majors with majors, and so on. A squad of full colonels was halted near Billy. One of them had double pneumonia. He had a high fever and vertigo. As the railroad yard dipped and swooped around the colonel, he tried to hold himself steady by staring into Billy's eyes. The colonel coughed and coughed, and then he said to Billy, you one of my boys? This was a man who had lost an entire regiment, about 4,500 men, a lot of them children, actually. Billy didn't reply. The question made no sense. What was your outfit? said the colonel. He coughed and coughed. Every time he inhaled, his lungs rattled like greasy paper bags. Billy couldn't remember the outfit he was from. You from the 451st? Uh, 451st? 451st what? said Billy. There was silence. Infantry regiment, said the colonel at last. Oh, said Billy Pilgrim. There was another long silence, with the colonel dying and dying, drowning where he stood. And then he cried out wetly, It's me, boys. It's Wild Bob. That is what he had always wanted his troops to call him, Wild Bob. None of the people who could hear him were actually from his regiment, except for Roland Weary, and Weary wasn't listening. All Weary could think of was the agony in his own feet. But the colonel imagined that he was addressing his beloved troops for the last time, and he told them that he had nothing to be ashamed of, that there were dead Germans all over the battlefield who wished to God that they had never heard of the 451st. 451st. 
He said that after the war, he was going to have a regimental reunion in his hometown, which was Cody, Wyoming, and he was going to barbecue whole steers. He said all this while staring into Billy's eyes. He made the inside of poor Billy's skull echo with boulder dash. God be with you, boys, he said, and that echoed and echoed. And then he said, If you're ever in Cody, Wyoming, just ask for Wild Bob. I was there. So was my old war buddy, Bernard V. O'Hare. Billy Pilgrim was packed into a boxcar with many other privates. He and Roland Weary were separated. Weary was packed into another car in the same train. There were narrow ventilators at the corner of the car, under the eaves. Billy stood by one of these, and as the crowd pressed against him, he climbed part way up a diagonal corner brace to make more room. This placed his eyes on a level with the ventilator, so he could see another train about ten yards away. Germans were riding on the cars with blue chalk. The number of persons in each car, their rank, their nationality, the date on which they had been put aboard. Other Germans were securing the hasps on the car doors with wire and spikes and other trackside trash. Billy could hear somebody riding on his car too, but he couldn't see who was doing it. Most of the privates in Billy's car were very young, at the end of childhood, but crammed into the corner with Billy was a former hobo who was 40 years old. I've been hungrier than this, the hobo told Billy. I've been in worse places than this. This ain't too bad. A man in a boxcar across the way called out through the ventilator that a man had just died in there. So it goes. There were four guards who heard him. They weren't excited by the news. Yo, yo, said one, nodding dreamily. Yo, yo. And the guards didn't open the car with the dead man in it. They opened the next car instead, and Billy Pilgrim was enchanted by what was in there. It was like heaven. There was candlelight, and there were bunks with quilts and blankets heaped on them. There was a cannonball stove with a steaming coffee top on top. Coffee pot on top. There was a table with a bottle of wine and a loaf of bread and a sausage on it. There were four bowls of soup. There were pictures of castles and lakes and pretty girls on the walls. This was the rolling home of the railroad guards, men whose business it was to be forever guarding fret rolling from here to there. The four guards went inside and closed the door. A little while later, they came out smoking cigars, talking contentedly in the mellow lower register of the German language. One of them saw Billy's face at the ventilator. He wagged a finger at him in affectionate warning, telling him to be a good boy. The Americans across the way told the guards again about the dead man on their car. 
the guards got a stretcher out of their own cozy car opened the dead man's car and went inside the dead man's car wasn't crowded at all there were just six live colonels in there and one dead one the germans carried the corpse out the corpse was wild bob so it goes during the night some of the locomotives began to tootle to one another and then to move the locomotive and the last car of each train were marked with a striped banner of orange and black indicating that the train was not fair game for airplanes that it was carrying prisoners of war the war was nearly over the locomotives began to move east in late december the war would end in may german prisons everywhere were absolutely full and there was no longer any food for the prisoners to eat and no longer any fuel to keep them warm and yet here came more prisoners billy pilgrim's train the longest train of all did not move for 2 days this ain't bad the hobo told billy on the second day this ain't nothing at all billy looked out through the ventilator the railroad yard was a desert now except for a hospital train marked with red crosses on a siding far far away its locomotive whistled the locomotive of billy pilgrim's train whistled back they were saying hello even though billy's train wasn't moving the box cars were kept locked tight nobody was to get off until the final destination to the guards who walked up and down in outside each car became a single organism which ate and drank and excreted through its ventilators it talked or sometimes yelled through its ventilators too in went water and loaves of black bread and sausage and cheese and out came shit and piss and language human beings in there were excreting into steel helmets which were passed to the people at the ventilators who dumped them billy was a dumper the human beings also passed canteens which guards would fill with water when food came in the human beings were quiet and trusting and beautiful they shared human beings in there took turns standing or lying down the legs of those who stood were like fence posts driven into a warm squirming farting siding earth sighing earth the queer earth was a mosaic of sleepers who nestled like spoons now the train began to creep eastward somewhere in there was christmas billy pilgrim nestled like a spoon with the hobo on christmas night and he fell asleep and he traveled in time to 1967 again to the night he was kidnapped by a flying saucer from trafalgar this was end of chapter 3